Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. It's great to be back here with you this week. My name is Clay Wright, and I'm your host, and I'm here with Pastor Jim Minling. Jim, it's great to be here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're excited to be here picking up the pieces from uh, this past week's sermon and continuing the conversation that we've been in in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we're in Luke chapter 4, and we're reading through right now the temptations of Jesus as he's continuing to, um, as we might say, be prepared for his ministry as he's heading into his, his ministry. Uh, the spirit leads him into and through the wilderness uh, where he's tempted by the devil. And we're now on the second of three temptations. Uh, And so I, as we get going, I I noticed something really interesting this week, which is that when, when you read our passage, which was out of Luke four, five verses five through eight, Mm -hmm. um, you read it out of the ESV, the English Uh. standard version rather than the NIV. (laughs) So can you, can you talk to us a little bit about what, you know, where were you at in the text this week and why, uh, why breaking form in that way? (laughs) Breaking form. Um, well, it largely had to do with the very first phrase, um, and the NIV, the verse five reads, the devil led him up to a high place. Hmm. And uh, I instantly, when I, well, not instantly, but I remember reading that and going, hey, didn't we just read a couple of verses earlier that the spirit led Jesus? Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, ooh, is that the same word? And uh, I'm kind of glad that it wasn't. <laughs> right, right. Uh, the spirit leading Jesus uh, in verse one is a different word than the, the devil leading Jesus. Mm. And so um started doing a little word study on the Greek word there. And I was like, huh, that's a, a very colorful word. In, in other words, it, it can refer to the word lead. It can refer to uh, the idea of bringing somebody or bringing something. Yeah. Um, it can refer to, to taking somebody somewhere. And, and I think that's a, there's a difference between leading someone and taking someone. And yeah. so then I, then I noticed that the NA, that the, um, the ESV and the NLT did translate that word led mm. with the word took. And so I'm like, hmm, I think I like the ESV's translation of that word better. I think it captures more um, how, what Satan is trying to do. Um, because, and I just didn't, I just, I guess I was uncomfortable with the Holy, with, with the devil leading Jesus, Jesus allowing himself to be led by the devil. Yeah. And, and, and especially because it's, we just read that, that English word just a couple of verses earlier, verses earlier with the Holy Spirit. So that, that was the biggest reason. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And it's, it's such a cool insight into something I know we have talked about on the podcast, which is how valuable it can be to compare translations yeah, yeah. because it's, there's a, there's a danger in saying, which is, this is not what you're saying, but there would be a danger in saying, well, I like the way that this one sounds better mm-hmm. because it's more comfortable for me. Right. That's not what you're saying. What you're yeah. saying is you checked other translations and that alerted you to, Hey, there, there may be a difference 
here. And, and I wonder if the word that's translated this way in verse one is the same word underlying the English. Well, and it leads you into asking those questions. That would that is the way it often happens. But this particular time, I actually would, would notice in the in a, I noticed first in the NIV that it was it looked like the same English word. Then I went to the Greek. Okay, I so, see. I but, see. But I have encouraged in, in previous podcasts for people who don't know the Greek, you can do the same thing by looking at translations. Right. This right. particular just the way it unfolded. Uh, and there's been other times when I've noticed the difference in translations before I've noticed the Greek word. Um, but this particular time I was like, hmm, that's, that's how is that word, that Greek word translated? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're not, we're not learning from Jesus to be led by the devil, but we're rather <laughs> reading about Jesus being taken by the devil. Yes. And, and whatever that means. And there's, a, there's also a, a, a interesting story going on in that verse in that, um, this is one of the departures from the Matthew version. Mm-hmm. And so most scholars believe that Matthew's version was predated Luke's and that Luke, uh, and it was, it was kind of more of a source for Luke. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not everybody believes that. And one of the questions is that Matthew says the devil um, took him up to a high mountain, um, mm. literally use the word oros, uh, the, the Greek word for mountain. Yeah. And Luke doesn't use that language. Um, actually, he doesn't even say, the NIV says, took him up to a high place. It doesn't even it doesn't even say high place in the Greek. It just literally, in the Greek, it says, and the devil took him up and showed yeah. him. And so that's one another reason why I uh, um, imagined in the sermon, it, could that mean taking him literally up above the earth, you know, mm-hmm. to a vantage point where he could see? Because if you start interpreting this text you know, in a very literal way and imagine that, and this is what I think happened, that the devil did come to Jesus, literally the devil did, that he literally came to the desert wilderness where Jesus was literally at. So I don't, yeah, I don't see yeah. this as any kind of a metaphorical or spiritual sure, thing. Sure. It's, I think it's literally happening. So then if I follow that reasoning, then, you know, what's the high place? You know, is it a literal mountaintop? Mm-hmm. Well, I know the mountains around the area. I've been up most of them and none of them are high enough to even see all of Israel, let yeah. alone the whole uh, kingdoms of the world. Um, actually, one of the things I did was that I uh, I did a Google Earth thing. <laughs> How many miles? This is just kind of my weeds thinking, you know, my 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 nerdness. How many miles up would you have to go in order to be able to see the the whole then known Roman Empire? And uh, it's 500 miles. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, I, oh, I have not taken a science class in a long time, but that's up in some sort of yeah. stratosphere. That's where the space atmosphere. station orbits. Is that, okay, yeah. is that, so, so wow. You're, you're really up there. Yeah. And so Jesus would have needed a helmet. <laughs> right. And unless mm. he was able to, you know, to somehow suspend those space-time limitations. <laughs> and and all and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's another departure from Matthew in the temptation account, which is the order of the temptations, it is. right? Yep, yep. It's, and I know for some people that can be like a big deal. Mm-hmm. I well, and, and the reason is is because if you're t- if you're taking a, you know, the Gospels are giving us GoPro footage of things that happened in the life of Jesus approach. Mm-hmm. 
then well which was it was it which yeah. which temptation what what's the correct order what's the true order and you know that can be troubling for people at times uh, and it's and it's good for us to to acknowledge that and to address it which the way that i address that is Okay, what was the purpose that Luke had when he wrote? Mm-hmm. Was Luke trying to give us a chronological account? Or was Luke taking the the stories of Jesus and uh, telling a story with them? Was he, you know, um, putting them together like, like an editor? Uh, I'm going to put this story with this story and this story and to tell a larger story. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when I say that, I don't mean he's... You know that the the gospels are completely unreliable when it comes to timing. Sure, it's just that when you get to the nitty gritty, you you do need to ask yourself, okay, is 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 the question of chronology a big issue? And I don't think it is for Luke. Um, yeah, like I, now they're roughly chronological in the sense roughly. that they start with his birth and they end right. with his death and resurrection. But in these. You know, these details where, you know, we'll we'll eventually get into portions of Jesus's teaching where it's chapters and chapters of just, Mm -hmm. you know, sayings and teachings. Mm -hmm. Were those all directly said one after the other? Or is there maybe something something else going on where Luke is organizing his material to help with memorization, for instance? Um, One of the the big classic ones is um, most of the material that we call the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. uh, which is in Matthew 5 through 7. Yeah. Uh, Luke gives us an, what's called the Sermon on the Plain. Mm-hmm. And so we use that language because it says in the beginning of Matthew 5, Jesus went up to a, a mountain or up, uh, does it say mountain? I think it does say mountain. It went up on a mountain and began to teach. And Luke says uh, Jesus was, was uh, on a, a plane and began to teach his disciples. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's it's like, but it's the same content. Blessed are you and people, you know, it's all the Beatitudes and et cetera. Right. <laughs> so it's it's like, what well, did it happen on the mountain or did it happen on the plane? You know? Yeah, we'll have to. That'll be fun to talk about because yeah. the oh, I'm not going to bring it up. It's just a couple chapters. It's, yeah, it's just a. It's, I'm actually working in, in those chapters right now mm-hmm. to to. Um, for what kind of stuff we're going to be talking about in the fall, yeah. summer in the fall. Yeah. It, yeah. And I, we, I mean, maybe we can move on from this point, but I, it, it is, I remember when I was really studying the gospels in college and we were talking about different ways that people have approached, um, difficulties in the text. Mm-hmm. That's, that's usually how they'll talk about these right. sorts of things is they'll yeah. say, this is a difficulty in the text. Or they'll, they'll be flat out say, this is an inconsistency. This is what, this is why the Bible is not trustworthy. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so you get, you know, <laughs> stories like this, where there's these small details that are out of order. And I, it, I will admit there were moments where I was like, I mean, it ha it can't be both. Can it, you know, it, that one of the chronologies is, or one of the orders is quote unquote not accurate to the, the what actually transpired mm-hmm. um and so is that a problem or not yeah. you know I, and that, that that's kind of what you were speaking to is right. depends on what the goal is right um and and some of those questions can be addressed by different perspectives yes mm-hmm. so asking the question what's the purpose of this of this text of this story What's what's the perspective he's bringing? Mm-hmm. Um, it would be nice if there was another P, wouldn't it? Perspective, <laughs> purpose, 
Mm. What's the point he's trying to make? Sure, sure. <laughs> and maybe okay, that, enough of that. Maybe that is a good segue into. I, I loved how you brought up as you were talking about this passage. Mm. How in the world w- did it come to be included in the gospel? Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about, you, you said you know Jesus is out alone. There's nobody. You know, he hadn't really met his disciples yet, so there's nobody following him to write it down. Right. Um, and there's a couple of different accounts that feel like that in the gospels where we ask how, how did this, yeah. <laughs> who, who wrote this down <laughs> and how did we come to have it in our, in our Bible? So do you want to elaborate on that sure. more? Yeah. Um, I remember reading one commentary that, that actually talked about this as being a very sacred, uh, story because mm. we are being brought into the, an, an intimate picture that only Jesus experienced huh. and that this was nothing that anybody else saw or like you said, recorded because they were around. And so there's a, there's a sacredness to it. And I was like, mm. hmm, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, but I, I, um, I, I think I said in the sermon, I'm kind of guessing, you know, as to how this got into the, to the, to God, Luke's gospel. Right. And is in Matthew's gospel with, with the same, almost again, the same detail and is mentioned by Mark. And so, um, the only two things I could think I could guess and think of was that, that, you know, Jesus told that, I mean, number, number one, obviously Jesus told the story. So why did Jesus tell the story? It seems to me there's only two options. Either somebody asked him, to you know, tell us of a time you were tempted, or you know, tell us how to handle temptation because we're mm-hmm. struggling. Or just in Jesus' teaching method, he said, "Hey, let's talk about this." Because one of the things I, I was trying to point out in the sermon was that the temptation is a discipleship issue; it's a core mm-hmm. discipleship issue. And of course, you know, the Gospels are not written in a textbook fashion okay chapter three is about how do disciples handle temptation <laughs> chapter four is about you know how do disciples feed other you know people you mm-hmm. know so so what we're following is the life of jesus right and we're watching the things he says and does and we have to ask ourselves the question if jesus is calling disciples which he's he's going to do in, in the next chapter and that's those are his students that we recognize then Jesus is a teacher. Mm-hmm. He's calling students and he's trying to teach them something. You know, is, is this passage a teaching passage? Mm-hmm. And, and Clay, to be honest, some people don't think it is. Yeah, yeah. Some people say, you know, this happens before the discipleship, before the disciples are called. If you look at your Bible, Luke 5 is when Jesus, Luke records Jesus calling his first disciples. Right. So this is Luke 4, so it's before. And so they say, therefore... This is not a discipleship passage. This is just a passage about you know, Jesus, his life, his experiencing, what he's experiencing. And so then I come back with, well, how do you define discipleship? Is mm-hmm. discipleship only teaching? Yeah. Then if, if, and that, a lot of people define discipleship as teaching. And if that's how you define it, then I understand. But if you understand discipleship the way I do, which I think is the more biblical, discipleship starts with simply following. Mm-hmm. There's no teaching. It's just following. Yeah. Then I'm I'm following to learn, uh, and and the, even then I'm not just learning what he's teaching. I'm learning his life. Right. So if I'm following and watching to learn from his life, then I want to follow every part of his life, mm-hmm. not just the part where he's officially teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, if you study the rabbinic practices, that's how the rabbis taught. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, they had. 
sit down, you might even call them classroom experiences where they were sitting down and, and rehearsing scripture and, and expo- expositing scripture and teaching uh, principles. But they also said, follow me, watch me. This was, yes. this was the core part of what discipleship right. was. And it's it's a core thing about Open Door. Mm-hmm. We are, we're very clear that the discipleship is not just learning information. It's not just teaching. We're following Jesus. Yes. We're watching the way he lives. We're watching what he does, how he responds to people. And when you start thinking of discipleship that way, it opens up all the color of Jesus. Yeah. And And it's much more fascinating. And it opens up more scriptures, Mm -hmm. including this one. Absolutely. I I could not agree more. And because it's the cutting room floor, (laughs) we have permission to get a little nerdy because they're in the... If you think about it, there's two Greek verbs that are really helpful with when it comes to discipleship. There's mm-hmm. didaskalo, which mm-hmm. is to teach, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's what you're talking about, about sort of instruction. Yep. So, you know, we get our word didactic teaching, mm-hmm. which we associate with classrooms and giving lectures and those sorts of things. But then you have diatribo, mm-hmm. which is this, you know, rubbing off of, you know, on, on one another, right. uh, this sharing of life. And discipleship has to have both elements, and yes. it's not simply a didactic transfer of information. Mm-hmm. It is a it is a learning of a lifestyle. It's a learning of a person. Yeah. And uh, and and it's also true in the vocabulary of discipleship, um, mm-hmm. not just teaching. So, disciple is the word mathetes, yes, which means student, literally learner, student. But then you also have the word akalotheo, which it simply means to follow, mm-hmm. but it implies following in order to learn. So if all we had was mathetes, you could make a, a, an argument for discipleship is just learning information. It's just, te- it's just gathering teaching. But when you start looking at how many times does the word akalotheo appear, mm-hmm. you're like, ooh, now that's, a, that's, that's actually the first part of discipleship. Jesus said, follow me. Mm-hmm. He didn't say, come be my disciple. Right. He said, follow me. So and, and for me, I've actually made that a, a, um, an, an, an ordus disciples. Kind of thing, <laughs> you know? we, we talk about, we follow Jesus to learn yeah. from Jesus, to yes. become like Jesus. Yes. And it starts with following. Uh, yeah. And then it gets expanded to, like we said, you know, following his way, following his, his philosophy, following his relational um, practices, you know, following everything about him. Mm-hmm. And then yes, also following his teaching. And we, we, yeah, it's so interesting the way that we interact with the, the words of scripture and the text of scripture, because when, when I read Jesus calling the disciples, follow me, I'm putting, I tend, I feel like I tend to put more emphasis on the me part. Jesus mm. is calling people to himself. Mm. And yet in uh, in the chosen, if you listen to the way that Jesus says that follow phrase, me. follow me. Yeah, that's right. The emphasis and, is on the word follow. Yeah, and it's the it's he's very. I wonder, and knowing the writers of the show, I'm sure that they are all over this. Yeah. But yeah. I wonder if they're he's putting the emphasis there to. I mean, Jesus is so clear, and it's clearly in the context of relationship. Yeah. But it's Jesus is clear with what he desires from from his students, which is come and, come and do this life with yeah, me. Yeah, learn from me. Yeah, learn my way. Yeah, and then and of course, so the the argument then is to, to sort of bring it back is that all of the gospels from beginning to end 
they're useful for yeah. teaching, correcting, rebuking, huh. and training in righteousness, you like might say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, we quote that verse differently, though. And I don't know. I haven't checked to see. Because we quote it in a different order, um, I've noticed, from listening to you quote it. All scripture is God breathes and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. I okay, think. no, yeah, maybe we do say it the same I, way. I, I'm not positive I have that, the, the order of. That's how I recall it, yeah, but. I may have changed it. You know, I, I've memorized so many <laughs> verses in different translations yeah. that I'm like, uh, which one am I, I'm kind of a, re reciting it and I, yeah. uh, a combination of three or four. <laughs> so, and, and so for that reason, even though Jesus hasn't yet called his disciples, he is no less our example yes. in these moments. And so it's great for us to, to learn from him and become like him as he's responding to temptation. An example for us to follow. You might say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so then um, as we're looking into this second temptation where um, the devil is showing Jesus the kingdoms of the world. And he's mm -hmm. saying, I have the authority mm -hmm. to give you the, the glory associated, right. the, 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 the scepter to rule all these places. If you just bow down and worship me, yeah. there's so much to talk about there. Um, uh, and, and yet b before we get into sort of, uh, Jesus's response, I, I do kind of want to take a second and ask you, th this is a question I personally had as I'm listening mm. to the sermon, okay. which is when, when the devil is tempting Jesus and he's saying, um, I do, I have the ability to, and you know, I've got some, I've got some swing here. Mm. Uh, is, is that a lie that Satan is using, uh, to tempt Jesus or is, does he, has he truly been given some authority yeah. and how, how, how did, how can we understand that? Yeah, that's a good question, and it's a very important question. Um, and let me start by giving away the answer. Both and, I think, is the is the best biblical answer. Yeah. And and I, I t the reason why I say that is because uh, Jesus said, and I quoted this in John eight forty four. Yeah, John eight forty four. That, that Satan is a liar. He's a father of lies. You know, he, when he lies, I love that line. When he lies, it's his nature. Uh, he's, yeah, he's speaking his native he's tongue. He's speaking his native language. You know, <laughs> it's such a great phrase. Um, uh, so I actually think that Satan is deceived, hmm. and of course, most liars are. Uh, before you say a word of deception, there is more than likely some self-deception of happening yeah. uh, in some way, shape, or form. And, of course, Satan is the ultimate megalomaniac. Mm -hmm. Megalomaniac, Megalomaniac, yeah. you know, he, he is so full of himself. And so, so we do have uh, biblical vocabulary that, that tends to promote that the Satan has a significant amount of power. The language of he is the prince of the power of the air. He's the ruler of this world. Um, uh, he is, um, uh, there's, there's another phrase that Jesus and Paul both use, prince of the power of the air, ruler and uh, um, authorities. You know, he has been given so, uh, authority. So, so Satan does have that, but there's no place where he's called a king which hmm. is interesting to me, just in terms of vocabulary. Now, we don't make a big deal about kings and princes, but European countries instantly you know, understand yeah. prince is not ultimate a power. 
king is. So Jesus is, is called king. Satan is called prince. Uh, but even so, it's not like Satan is in the same court as Jesus. Right. Uh, Satan apparently has a delegated authority that is limited, um, that he has uh, you know, some level of authority and power in, in this world. Um, and, but there's no place that gives any indication that he has all authority or all power um, or is getting any kind of all kinds of glory. So that stuff is re- that language is reserved for Jesus. Mm. And so I, one of the things I did bring out was that it's interesting that, you know, Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority on heaven and heaven <laughs> earth has been given to me. Uh, just, just kind of a reminder you know that this is this is language that is reserved for Jesus alone. He's the yes. King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, mm-hmm. and which is also a, a really beautiful phrase that we throw around sometimes. Don't think about King of Kings, all the kings, all the power, all the authority. He's the King of all those. Yeah, and um, so so yes, so so Jesus uh, recognizes that Satan has been given some authority. But he also knows it's a limited authority. He's chained. He, he can only go so far. He only has so much power and authority. Mm. And it's also true that Satan is deceived, and so he thinks he has more power and authority than what he actually has. Yeah. So, so you know, is he lying out of that self-deception, or is he is he intentionally and knowingly saying, I know I only have this much power, but I'm going to pretend that I have much more power and try to present myself as one who can give that to Jesus. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's a mysterious thing in some ways to me because the the Bible clearly talks about a Satan as a person, like he's a personified mm-hmm. Being, being who has attributes who is opposed to God and his rightful rule right. but there's it, it's not you know like you said earlier it's not a textbook on Satan it's not hey oh, oh you really want to learn about this? okay turn back to <laughs> the book that's dedicated to sat- Satanology and demonology <laughs> and we'll just we'll just run through all the stuff um, <laughs> and uh, because even, even as we're talking about it, we're unpacking it in, in somewhat passive terms. But, you know, who has delegated this authority or allowed this authority uh, to be to be had? It's 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 an uncomfortable thing to think about. You know, how is God responding to in his wisdom and sovereignty? Just the 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 arc of creation um, and the story of, cre- of of creation as it's playing out. Has he has he delegated some authority of the world to Satan for a time. You know, is that how we would say that mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of, it's yeah. uncomfortable to think about for us. Right. Um, although historically it has not always been uncomfortable, for instance, for, for the nation of, for, for Israelites and for, for the Jewish people, they have less discomfort with that kind yeah, of, and idea. I used the word delegated, uh, and now that I'm hearing you use it, I'm I'm getting more and more uncomfortable with it. Sure, maybe, maybe sure. Allowed is a better verb, mm-hmm. um, but with the word delegation, I, I'm I was meaning more 
that it's it's not authority that comes from him. Right. It's right. not uh, he isn't the source. Mm-hmm. So it's a secondary authority. Sure. Um, but certainly, when I use the word delegate, that Im- delegated that implies there's a delegator. Sure. Sure. And I do not want to say. That that God is in heaven, going okay. I'm going to give you this, Satan. I'm going to give you that. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm more comfortable with. I'm going to allow. There's going to be limits to what you can yeah, do. Yeah, and, and that seems to fit with the opening of Job as well. Yeah, I was I was thinking the same the yeah. same kind of deal as in Job. God is not. Yeah, he. I, I think it's more appropriate. You know, without opening up and reading it through it again, it's more appropriate to say that God is allowing Satan yeah, to yeah, do yeah. something rather than God is saying, I, I think something needs to happen in Job's life. Who can I delegate this task to? Yeah. Yeah. I I think, but, but anyhow, uh, at at any rate in any temptation, whether it's, you know, depending no matter what mix of poisonous lies and half truth it is, um, I loved that th- this summary phrase that you gave us that in every temptation, there's a bigger picture mm-hmm. and a greater danger. Yeah. Uh, and Jesus catches on to this. And so he's not, he doesn't play the games that Satan is enticing him into yeah. or attempting to. Yeah. I actually came up with that phrase in the, when I was preaching through the book of James. Okay. And, um, years ago, uh, how long ago was that? That was the, like eight years ago or seven years ago, I can't remember, but I, I was, you know, James has a, a, a section on temptation and, uh, and I saw in that, and also I did study this as well as a part of that series in James, this idea that, that in every temptation I said in James, there's a bigger picture, a deeper issue and a greater danger. Hmm. And, um, so I went back to that phrase because I thought it really, really helped frame th- what's going on here because you you don't see that at first. And uh, I think that's why this passage is so powerful is that there's something else going on that's, mm-hmm. again, a greater danger, a bigger picture. And the only reason I left out the phrase deeper issue was cutting room floor stuff. I, I just, I'm like, I'm not going to have time to cover all that. Right. You know? And so, cause there's, you know, as, as God began to open up this passage, I started seeing all these cool things, you know, it's that just worst we'll get to in a couple of seconds, but, um, but helping me see that there's a bigger picture going on here than just, you know, Jesus fighting the devil in the, in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, it really began to open up some ideas for me as to what's happening here. And, and then I think that in applying that to us, I began to realize, boy, if we could, even if we can't see the bigger picture, if we can just realize there is a bigger, bigger picture, could that help somebody who is trying to resist the devil? You know, I, 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 I want to resist this temptation. I'm doing my best. But man, it's just that it, I'm lose. I feel like I'm losing. Would it help someone to realize, you know, there's this domino effect. Mm-hmm. There's a bigger picture going on here. And, you know, I remember a story I heard from uh, Chuck Swindoll years ago that was um, so helpful to me, as a, especially as a young pastor. Uh, he uh, was a young pastor speaking at a conference, and. Uh, when it was over, uh, he uh, went down to the hotel restaurant to just get something to eat, and they didn't have any tables, so he was sitting at the bar. So 
these two ladies walk up to him, and they're w- women of the evening, you might say. You know, they're mm-hmm. uh, what you call them prostitutes or call sure. girls or whatever. And you know, they make a move on him, and he's like, you know, I'm not interested. You know, no. And so uh, he he finishes up, and he goes to the, to the elevator. They follow him into the elevator. And continue their temptations and their their um, lines, and he says that that God just gave him a vision of the, the face of his wife and the face of his son, mm. and he imagined himself saying to his wife, "Yeah, Cynthia, you know, I did give in, and these women were so." alluring and so persuasive i'm so sorry honey and he imagined telling his son uh i'm so sorry son but yeah i did get you know and and just that image of him having to tell his wife and his son was so powerful that in a moment he saw you might say he saw the bigger picture Mm -hmm. you know this isn't just you know a, a temptation in the moment which it was but he's a married man yeah and he has a son and uh, you 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 might want to say uh, we wish that he might have had an image of saying to the father in front of the throne room, <laughs> "Yes, father, I did that. I'm so sorry." Sure. But, yeah, yeah. But whether it was you know whatever it was, there was an image that came into his mind mm-hmm. of the bigger picture here, and um, I remember that from years ago, and uh, and so that helped that helped me see in every temptation. There's a bigger picture. So what is it? What what is it in this one? What is it in that one? And that's something I left on the cutting room floor as well. I, I never pushed that to, um, you know, asking people think about you know tip, what is the bigger picture that I'm facing because it's not always immediately obvious. And I told stories about well, if you knew this would if you could see the end of the domino effect and see this giving in is going to destroy my marriage. I'm going to end up divorced Mm -hmm. because of the domino effect from giving into this temptation, or I'm going to trash my children because I'm doing this. Yeah. Uh, Those bigger, those are two examples of bigger pictures, but there's, you know, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my credibility. I'm going to, you know, there's lots of other bigger pictures. Yeah. And, And I think as I'm now verbally processing, I, but this was not left on the cutting room floor. I'm kind of verbally processing this now, but it might even be actually be a helpful deterrent to tempt in the moment of temptation to kind of get sidetracked by thinking what is the bigger picture? Because <laughs> yeah. cause when we're being tempted, it's like that's all I can think about is giving into that. I mean, I I just can't wait. That's going to feel so good. I, you know, I'm gonna no one's going to know. No one's going to see. I want to. My whole everything about my body, everything about my mind is like yes, let's do that. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we talk about distraction as a good weapon against. I remember, I remember when I was at college, we had the dorm leader said to, told us that when we're uh, tempted to lust, we should all we should all take a cold shower and run <laughs> and run around the the dorm, you know, outside in in, in it was Taylor University, cold, you know, yep. and not naked, you know, run around and then take a shower. Maybe maybe it was take a shower or run around, but you know, there was a distraction kind of a thing is what he was trying to help us. And that's that's actually helpful, you know. Mm-hmm. And in a way, thinking about what's the bigger picture now, I'm engaged thinking about something else yeah. versus uh, indulging in this temptation, mm-hmm. and uh, that can help be a helpful distraction. I yeah, it's <laughs> and it, and what a it's such a powerful illustration, and it, it, it's 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 so helpful to be able to recognize 
my actions have consequences and sin has consequences. And we know regardless of how quote unquote trivial it seems to us, the end of sin is death. That is where it, it may, it may lead, lead to that place uh, at different speeds, mm-hmm. there may be more steps, but you know, make no mistake, yeah. there is no life to be found down that road. Yeah, I think one of the things I, I remember saying was, um, in the history of the world, there's never been somebody yeah. who gave into a temptation, and that turned out to be a, such a great thing. I'm so glad I gave into that temptation because mm-hmm. that, you know, brought this blessing in my life. Right? Mm, no, and and even. <laughs> Even if, because to play a devil's advocate, I suppose, you know, imagine the person who gets away with it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in their mind. You know, right. they've they're, they've got all the money, they've got all the whatever, all the exp- every you know whatever they want, they've got it because they you know pulled off a they, heist they or whatever. It is, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That person still dies, and their sin is not forgotten. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're 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 dying in their sin. Mm-hmm. And so that we, you know, we need to as well, take an eternal perspective, right? Yeah. There's a, there's Good. a picture that goes beyond Good. just this life. That's right. And yet, so, so given all of that, which is very helpful, I've, I've also, I've, I've thought about this a lot that there does come a point in, in my own life where just considering the consequences, it, I, I, I think that there, there's, there can be a more, a more powerful deterrent in temptation. And I don't know if we'll get a chance to talk about this in this four week series. So I, I do kind of want to bring it up just briefly because I, there's, there's two things that we ought to hate about sin. Hmm. Number one is the consequences of death that it causes. Like, I think it's good to say, I don't want that consequence, therefore, I'm not going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's appropriate. Yeah, definitely. But I think it, there's also something inherent in dehumanizing about sinful activity where we can not just hate the consequences of sin, but we can learn to hate sin itself yeah. for its own sake. Yeah. Um, and, and that is also a powerful tool to, to not, you know, because I th- th- there can be a sense that where even if I don't want the consequences, man, I wish I could. Yeah. Man, I wish I could. And that's still, I think there's room to grow. <laughs> Well, that brings me to something I I did forget about that I left on the cutting room floor, and that this is a whole a, a different <laughs> approach, but one of my favorites. Yeah, and and uh, and that is if I was going to preach two sermons on mm-hmm. this text, yeah, one of them would entirely be um, opening up more about this idea of worship, and that one of the great deterrents is I am so captivated by. The, the grand vision of the character of God, that th- that greater love enables me to say no to lesser loves. So, so the phrase is, it's easier to say no when there's a greater yes burning mm. within. Yeah. Um, and that's, I'm sure that's a line from somewhere. I just uh, don't know where. Uh, but it's a line that I've used for myself. You know, I'm, I'm so captivated by the glory of God my desire to please God, my desire to honor God. I love God. I love him. And I want to honor him with my life. And that vision of pleasing him, honoring him, um, 
uh, glorifying him is a consuming vision mm-hmm. and that's the whole idea between behind christian hedonism is i'm i'm captivated by the greater vision of the glory of god so everything else becomes a lesser love and i realize wow that's not going to give me as much satisfaction that's mm-hmm. that's a lesser love a lesser good nothing is greater than the glory of god yeah yeah and and just teasing that out like john piper has done his whole ministry to be right. you know, captivated by a, a greater vision. And, of course, that's the lie of, of temptation. The lie of Satan is, I can give you as much pleasure as the pleasure of loving God. I can give you as much joy. I can give you as much success as you can you know, have following you. You're not going to find pleasure serving God. You're not going to find joy you know, God's a killjoy, you know, that's going to be drudgery. Mm-hmm. And and so many people buy that lie. I mean, I would think, I, I would say most people, when you say, what is it that brings you the most ex- joy and pleasure? They're going to think about sex. They're going to think about food. They're going to think about some entertainment. They're not going to think about, you know, uh, reveling in the glory of God. Why is it that? Because we have systematically bought the line that, well, you know, God is important and you know, I should honor him, but I mean, I'm right. not going to find life and joy and pleasure there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, God's important. Yeah, I'm going to worship him. But if I want, if, if I want to get, you know, pleasure, I'm going to pursue something earthly. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, but the, so the interesting thing is that definition of pleasure, right? There are, there are so many mm-hmm. lies and presuppositions that go into absolutely. that whole, because the, the microwave version <laughs> of pleasure yeah. that these pleasure for a season is what the Bible says. Yes. Yeah. The, these it's, it's, um, it's it's like uh it's dehumanizing to us it's yeah. it's like it's almost like um animalistic mm-hmm. you know, where we're just we're we're being led by this but isn't that isn't that how the old testament often pictures uh israel as a a dog in heat right or a horse that has no you know bridle it's just you know living according to the flesh you know exactly yeah pictures us as these animalistic mm-hmm. giving into pure animal desire it, yeah and it's it's a hard we, we've talked about this or around it a little bit on the podcast before or at least i i don't remember exactly when but it's hard because on the one hand we do not want to say that pleasure is bad no, no. You know, god created sure. our endorphin systems right, right? and yet to pretend that we were created for for the body yeah. to serve those endorphin systems right. rather than to seek God and to, you know, seek the, the, the deep food intimacy for, of, of yeah. yeah. Food is for the body. The body is not for food. You right. Know, right. <laughs> and it's just so you're absolutely right. So many people, including at times me, Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, I'm not immune to these things. These Nobody are, is. We, you, it's so easy to get caught up in. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I, you know, I have all these things I want to do today, but I really can't. I really shouldn't because I, I need to go not have fun and do the things I should do. You know, <laughs> and that's that's not. Um, when 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 I was in college, we used to jokingly talk about this, where we would be like, you know. 
we're going to go party, but obviously what we mean by partying is very different <laughs> from what you, from what most people mean by partying. We yeah. mean, um, sitting together, having conversations, worshiping, mm -hmm. uh, you know, drinking sparkling, sparkling grape juice. That's not alcoholic, you know, this, <laughs> it, and not, you know, and, and again, that it's not a, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to elevate myself, but just to say we, there's, there's fun and there's joy to be had in community. That's doesn't involve us exploiting and artificially stimulating right. our bodies using all of these other yeah. sorts of avenues to get quick pleasure. Right. Um, man, that was quite a rabbit trail. <laughs> <laughs> That's what cutting the floor is for. Now, we have lots more to talk about. We do. We do. Um, so, so Jesus is being tempted. We, we talked about so, sort of this, uh, you know, a loud authority that, that Satan has and, and this deception that's happening. We talked about the bigger picture, the deeper danger. Yeah, let's talk about the deeper danger for a second. Uh, sure. Because um, when I was talking about the, the intimacy between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, especially... I was thinking I was talking more about the Father and Son because Jesus keeps talking about the Father and I are one, the mm -hmm. Father and I, and, and you, you you just keep getting these windows into this incredible connection. The intimacy word comes to describe the relationship, but that's also a picture of the oneness, the yeah, the, 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 the experience between the Father and the Son, and again the Holy Spirit. Is that kind of unity, that 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 Trinitarian oneness, that would be destroyed uh, when we when we use that word unity and use that word oneness in the sermon? That's kind of what I was getting. That kind of that's exactly what I was getting at is the the actual the theological integrity of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. that that's broken. The the second one member of that Trinity sins because the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are each perfect. And in, in, in every way. And yeah. so there's yeah. you, you introducing sin in any, in any way destroys the integrity of the, of the Trinity. It destroys the nature of the... I mean, it, there is no Trinity now because sin has been introduced. And, uh, you know, that is an, a, a massive you know, danger to think about. That the whole universe, which is based upon the... You know, the creation of God has been deformed and sin has been introduced into the Trinity. That's just terrifying to think about. Yeah, um, it's you. I feel like the 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 outworking of that is something it's hard to explore theologically because you have to question. I mean, it's almost like it almost might be more helpful to look at how like in the Marvel comics, what happens when the universe tears in half? Yeah. It's like, it's like that level of catastrophic yeah. it's world ending. Yeah. It's game breaking yeah. it's type over. of, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you talk about a greater danger, um, man, what, what could be, what could be a greater danger? I mean, and no, no offense that your marriage is very important. Mm -hmm. Your family is very important, huge, you know, and, and other things are very important, but nothing is more foundational or central than the nature of God. Right. And, 
so yeah, this this the greater danger in this uh, um, you know instance is absolutely mind-boggling. Now, you know, if if and when I give in to temptation, the greater danger isn't that I'm going to break up the Trinity, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, but there is. Absolutely, multiple greater dangers. Mm. Um, just like there are, are multiple layers, you might say, to the bigger picture. You know, one of the people, one one person came up to me after the sermon. They wanted me to talk more about the grace of God. Um, you know, you didn't talk about the grace of God. That when we do give in to temptation, we we you know we and we sin. God's grace is there to forgive us, you know, and so that's the bigger picture. And this one person thought it was ironic that in a sermon on the greater picture that I usually literally use that word, that phrase, greater picture, I didn't refer to the greater picture of all, which is the grace of God. And I I said, well, I, I don't, I think there is a greater picture than the grace of God. Yes, God's grace is greater than our sin. God's sovereignty is able to, his ability to work things and and for his glory, mm-hmm. in, in the, even though we sin and screw up. Yes, that's a bigger picture, but there's a bigger picture than that. And that is God Himself, right. the, the character of God. And so, you know, when we talk about, if we want to be pedantic here, when we talk about the grace of God, we're talking about an attribute of God, not God Himself. Right. Uh, God is love, but not, God is not grace. Mm-hmm. And so, love is not an attribute of God; it's His nature. Grace is not His nature; it's an attribute. Right. Uh, and so, so, just you know, mm-hmm. theological dis, you know, distinctions. So if we talk about the grace of God as being a bigger picture than our sin, hallelujah, 100%, but there's a greater picture than that, and that is yes. the yeah. source of God's grace, he himself. And that's what this, where this passage ends, that it's about worship of the one true God and the worship that belongs only to him. Yes. And so that's the bigger picture of all is, right. is right. the glory of God. Um, yeah, and his, his worthiness to be praised is eternal yes uh but his grace uh which if we're going to define grace traditionally as unmerited favor in eternity past there was no one that did not merit favor so he's not eternally graceful in that that sense at least but he is eternally worthy Uh and And so loving and eternally loving because loving is you know it's that um, commitment to the good. It's that self-giving. Well, and love is happening in the Trinity. Yeah, exactly. There's no grace yep. happening in the Trinity. Exactly. Because there's no That's nec- a, it's not necessary. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, and so, yeah, you might you might even say grace is what happens when an eternally loving God uh, it, it comes face to face with a humanity that He desires to save. Yeah. Um, yeah. So his his grace is is eternal in in or his grace is uh, ongoing and, and ever you know it's going to go on forever for mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. Uh, but um, but it, it has not always been in, yeah. in that sense. But I I I loved how how practical and and how um, vivid the images that you used were when it came to you know the the domino the Luke Goldberg machine mm-hmm. and the balloon. And it's such a I like the clearly the the main application for me in this is let us see the bigger picture, understand the greater danger so that we might not sin. Yeah, and, and you know, you can add into that your discussion about 
we need to know the word of God because Jesus mm-hmm. is that's that's how Jesus is going to go into battle. And so we, we want to see the bigger picture, know the greater danger, use the word of God. We talked about you know being distracted or learning to hate sin for the destruction that it's that it's causing, not mm-hmm. just for the consequences, uh, learning to love God more than these lesser loves, yeah. these lesser things, which is all, all of that is to the point of we must resist temptation, um, which is fantastic. Uh, but similar to what this, uh, this other person brought up, I wanted to ask you what, what would you say to someone who's listening to your sermon and they're realizing I am 50 dominoes down mm-hmm. and I'm afraid of the inertia mm. that has picked up in my life. I'm afraid. I, I see the bigger picture and I am not sure that there's a way out for me. Well, the only place to go is the grace of God Mm. and and the sovereignty of God. Um, Because, you know, you have tipped the domino. The the thing has started. And so, and you can't change it now. You can't interrupt that, those consequences. But God can. And, And God can not only interrupt the consequences, he can help you deal with the consequences. Yes. Of course, that's the, the cross. That's the, the grace of God. That's the, 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 how God walks with us. So I'm not alone in that. You know, contrary to what some people would like to say, God does not turn his back on us when we sin. You know, I'm, they quote Habakkuk, God is too pure to look upon evil. <laughs> that's, that's not what that passage is about, that somehow when I sin, God turns his back on me. Well, then God would have to have his back turned to us all the time because I am a sinner. <laughs> yeah. I, it's not just that I sin. Right. I am a sinner. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, God chooses to turn his face toward me. That's his stance of love. And so, uh, no, God does not leave me as a mere victim of my consequences. He will either interrupt them or he will give me the grace to deal with them and he will sovereignly work out his purposes. God's not naive to think that, well, if I can just get Jim to not sin, then I can accomplish my purposes for his life. No, God, in the equation of him accomplishing his purposes for my life, he takes into account my sin. Mm-hmm. And and I literally need to hear that. I need to be reminded of the grace of God. Uh, there is not a fatality here. There's not, I'm a victim of fate. I can't stop anything. No, God is God. And yeah. and so I wasn't trying to, in the sermon, get at, um, man, you better not give give into that temptation because you're going to set into to motion consequences that, that are, you know, impossible to, to deal with. I, I was trying to give a motivation to for another motivation to help you in your resisting temptation, in right, your right. fighting for your life, is to remember what's you know what's the bigger picture here, what's the greater danger, and that has helped me. And honestly, I think it's what helped Jesus. I I, I don't think he was screwing up his will and going, oh, I just got to fight this. I think, and I'm, again, cutting room floor stuff. You know, um, Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I think the same thing could be said for the temptations, for the joy. What is the joy set before him? That's a vision. 
That's、mm-hmm. a vision of the bigger picture for the joy set before him. He endured the temptation. I love how Charlie, Pastor Charlie, two weeks ago emphasized you know, the endurance. You know, and that word is in that Hebrew passage for the joy set before him. He endured the cross,、yeah. despising、yeah. its shame. You know, I think that could, that could be true about the temptations as well. So I personally believe that Jesus endured the temptations and And successfully fought the temptations because he kept the bigger picture, the glory of God,、mm-hmm. um, the purpose of, you know, of me being a savior, and the greater danger、uh, in mind. Yeah.、So、that's how I think he won the temptation. Absolutely. And, and I, there's, there's so many really cool points to pull out in what you just said, <laughs> talking about. Uh, referencing, I, I think it's in Hebrews as well that talks about how Jesus suffered temptation.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Hebrews 4. Where you know, he's, he's suffering through something. And、um, I, I think it's, it's, it's helpful for us to recognize that there is a kind of suffering、mm-hmm. that we endure、mm-hmm. under temptation. Sure. And in the,、oh, in the denial、yes. of our, of our flesh. I agree. And、uh, yes. I, I, think, I think sometimes we can imagine that once we become mature Christians, to,、uh, resisting temptation becomes easy for some reason, or that there's no pain involved, or that there shouldn't be pain involved. I think there are some temptations. I, I, know, I know there are some temptations that.、Uh, That I don't deal with, that I, that I used to. Right. And so as I mature in the Lord, and I think as I mature physically, as、mm-hmm. I get older, the, some of the things that I'm tempted with now, I wasn't tempted for when I was in my 20s. And some of the temptations that were so big in my 20s, they're not big at all in,、yeah. my, in my 60s.、And、yes, so- for, sh- for sure. And yet, I'm, I'm more talking more generally, like as we're, Jesus talks about. Dying to self,、mm-hmm. that is a suffering process. It is. And it's a continual process. It is. Yes. And so even if the content of the temptation is different, this, I, I'm going to be put to death today.、Mm-hmm. There, like there are elements of Clay Wright that need to die.、Um, they're, they're, the fo- they're fallen elements.、Mm-hmm. They're, they're you know, part, my flesh. Um, needs to die. And that's a, that's, that hurts. Yeah. That, I think that's the value of the language of, of crucifixion.、Mm-hmm. You know, I am crucified with Christ. I am being crucified with Christ. And, and I no longer live. Well, I do live. The life I now live, you know, the physical life, I, the spiritual life, I live in, in the, by faith in the Son of God、yeah. who loved me and gave himself for me. So, you know, there is that. that、um, That dying daily, there's that picking up the cross. The Bible is really clear to use、uh, crux language,、mm-hmm. you know, cross language, suffering language. Nobody in the first century、uh, thought anything else but suffering when they thought of the word cross. Nobody thought of a necklace or an intersection you know, or,、um, or jewelry or something beautiful or, the, or, or the church. Cross meant one thing immense, brutal suffering. Yeah. 
Um, and it's hard for us to hear the word cross like the first century heard it. Absolutely. And um, not only does that Hebrew passage get, bring us into the, the, the suffering and the vision that Jesus had, but it also keys us into another thing that maybe we can end with this. And you can tell us about this progression from suffering to glory that we mm. see in scripture mm. where Jesus is, he's enduring suffering. And then later on, and uh, oh, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising his, its shame. And then he, he sits down at the right, you know, he, he's seated at the right hand of the father. Um, so, so for Jesus, his temptations were a, in part, which pastor, like you said, pastor Charlie unpacked this a little bit last week, did a great job that there's this temptation to short circuit Mm -hmm. what's what God wants to do. And that's for Jesus, that's skip the suffering and go straight to the glory. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I believe that that was a, a very real temptation, and I, I think even more so in the garden. You know, for Jesus to say, you know, is there another way? You know, if, if possible, Father, remove this cup. Well, it's the cup of suffering mm-hmm. is what he's talking about. So, again, I, th- I think I've said this in one I don't think I said it in both sermons, but in one sermon I, I said something to the effect of, you know, th- that language is just play-acting. It's just... Jesus posturing unless it's actually true that he is really wrestling with a way of somehow saving us, somehow redeeming creation, somehow fulfilling the purpose that God sent him for without the cross. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a core uh, part of, of Satan's temptation is to get the glory without the cross. And... That short circuiting, short circuiting process is something that um, that we face all the time. And by the way, this brings us back to the beginning. To me, that is why Jesus is talking about temptation, and you know, um, he and, and why he wants to teach it as a discipleship uh, issue, because he knows that we're going to have to go the way of suffering. We're going to have to follow the. The, you know, take up the, our cross. And, and later on in Luke, he's going to use that exact phrase. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not willing to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And so, you know, there's there's three, seems to me there's three different main places that Jesus talks about temptation. And, you know, and one of them is here. He's telling us the story of how I dealt with temptation. And then the then there's the, the garden where, where he's, you know, tells us what happens there in, in the garden. And then um, the, the disciples' prayer, where he says to them, you know, lead me not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Mm-hmm. So th- so those are the three places that he talks about temptation so that we are equipped to handle those moments of suffering that are coming. And and honestly, Clay, let's think back to the, the, the first audience here. Yeah. Um, there's a possibility that some of the people reading the Gospel of Luke for the first time are experiencing persecution in the Roman Empire. Mm. Uh, and for sure, the second generation that's mm-hmm. reading Luke's Gospel. So followers of Jesus living you know, around 100, 120 A.D., those are severe persecution times in the Roman Empire. Yeah. And so to hear the, you know, the stories of the temptation, because they were tempted to recant, 
to, they were tempted to turn their back on Jesus. So, the, you know, that automatically that just kind of launches a much bigger picture of temptation. We're talking about the temptation to eat chocolate, the temptation to look at a, <laughs> a, a pornographic magazine, mm-hmm. the temptation to watch a movie, the temptation to buy more clothes, the temptation to, to you know, um, embellish a story, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, those are all real temptations, but none of them will come anywhere near the temptation to simply say Jesus is not Lord, so I can live. Right. So it, that sword yeah. that's been hanging over my neck does not take my head off. I mean, hello, <laughs> that the stakes are high there. Yeah, and and yet, <laughs> like all all of those other sins are acting. We may not be saying it with our mouths, but that you know that's exact. To your to to your point in your sermon, we are worshiping something else. Yeah, we yeah. we are denying Jesus. Yes, we are. And I, uh, but you're right. You're right. The, to 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 compare the the proximate suffering that we endure <laughs> by di- by dying to self, which is suffering, but to compare that to the martyrs oh, is wow. is, you know, I. I Talk about it. Talk about a bigger picture. You yeah. know, I, I think, I think it will be great to sit at the feet of some of these people who were martyred mm-hmm. one day, mm-hmm. and to hear the grace that's given to them yeah. um, wow. in the midst of those circumstances, yeah. right? Because God is giving us grace mm-hmm. to endure suffering mm-hmm. by by enduring temptation. Uh, same thing for them, yeah. and to to the extent that their suffering is greater. I think the grace matches it. Um, So there'll be a lot of great things to learn. Uh, Yeah. Well, and and there's more great things to learn in the gospel of Luke, which is what we'll continue with uh, next week. Yeah. There's boy, we just spent a whole hour or more talking about the stuff left on the cutting room floor. And honestly, we we, only, we didn't even get to half of it. <laughs> I know. We, yeah. That's, that's so great. There's. Oh, I was in a class today. You were in that class, and mm-hmm. somebody asked the question, you know, how, how do, it was a class on preaching, and how do you look at the same text that you've already preached on or taught on and and find new insights so you're not end up saying just the same thing? And today's, to me, today's, uh, cutting room floor podcast is is an answer to that. There's just so <laughs> many things happening mm-hmm. in each text, and it's like we we I, I preached a whole sermon on it. We just spent a whole hour talking of, about you know the, the stuff that I left out of the sermon, and there's still all mm-hmm. this stuff that is in God's word, and uh, and and then I'm I'm not exaggerating by saying there's, we left a lot of stuff still untalked about, mm-hmm. and that's in that text. That's yeah, so beautiful. We could start we could start a radio show <laughs> called the Cutting Room Floor Trash Can, which is all the pieces that <laughs> got swept off of the cutting room floor and deposited. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, on that note, um, if you're if you're enjoying uh, joining this conversation with us, that's great, uh, and we would we would love to know. And and yeah. one easy way you can let us know is just by giving us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or on the Spotify app. You can rate uh, different shows that you're enjoying on on both of those platforms. And uh, again, that's just a way to let us know. 
you're you're benefiting. God God is uh, ministering to you in these conversations. Mm-hmm. We we pray for you guys all the time uh, th- that are listening, and we we're, we we want to continue engaging you in this conversation. And so one of the ways that that you can uh, engage more directly is by emailing us your questions as you're uh, working through the sermon on your own, as you're maybe go in, in life group, talking about life group questions. If you have a question you're having trouble with, or you, you just would be interested to hear us weigh in on, you can email that question to podcast at open door TV. Uh, and, uh, we'll check it out and we'll, we'll bring you into the conversation directly. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Let me actually close with prayer. Um, yeah, please do. So Lord, we, we do lift up uh, everyone who's listening right now in this this prayer. Um, all of us people who are facing and will face temptation. So I pray for the, our listeners that as they go through the temptation that they're in or that's coming their way, that they will be able to remember the greater picture, uh, the, the the image of the domino. Um, would, would remain in their mind. There, there's consequences. There's a bigger picture. And the, 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 that picture of Jesus fighting for their life as he fought against the devil in, in, in the wilderness, that Jesus, you were fighting for us. Uh, thank you, first of all, for, for doing that. But second of all, help us to realize that that battle has been won. We do not have to give in to temptation. So every person who's listening, we can be more than conquerors through him who loved us. There is a way out for every temptation. And whether it's thinking about the bigger picture, the greater danger, focusing on how Jesus fought, uh, whatever it is, Lord, would you help us? Would you help each one of us? to honor you with our decisions, with our lives. Thank you for your grace. But would you grow us and strengthen us so that every temptation that we now know is an opportunity to trust you, every temptation which we now know is a test to prove your faithfulness, that we would pass that test, that we would be more like Jesus. Every one of the listeners that we would all be more like Jesus in how we face and, and handle temptation. And I pray for the grace of God to strengthen people who are listening, empower them, fill them with your spirit, Lord, and enable us to honor you in all that we say and do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.